0: We turn to the scriptures now and to the book of Psalms and to the first psalm, Psalm 1, and we will read this psalm together. We started with a call to worship from Jeremiah, and the idea that Jeremiah talks about, you'll hear that echoed in just a few verses as we read through the first psalm. And as we turn to this, we remember that it is God's living word to us. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. We thank God for this reading from his word. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we turn to the Scriptures now, grant us grace that we would meditate on them. Lord, work in our hearts to take the roots of our very being and to draw those roots deep down into the things revealed in your Word. And may the result here today be renewed trust in you and all the fruitfulness that comes from that. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Psalm 1 today, and the Psalm, as we've read it together, you'll remember that it begins with this note of blessedness. Blessed is the one, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord." It's a psalm, therefore, all about happiness, happiness in the truest, deepest meaning of the word, not some form of superficial happiness, but happiness, which is something more like a deep river that can give us life and sustain us even through the hardest days. And I'm sure you'll all agree that in today's world, blessedness, true happiness seems to be so hard to come by. You'd think with all the enlightenment that there's been, with all the scientific progress, the latest technology, modern medicine, you'd think that surely by now we would have discovered the key to true and lasting happiness. And yet all the evidence seems to suggest that blessedness is a commodity which is in scarce supply in our modern world. So how do we find this true blessedness, this real happiness? Well, this psalm is a wisdom psalm, and it wants us to realise and really feel the force of the fact that in this life, there are only two ways to live. Only two ways. And one of those paths is the path to blessedness. We're going to find this path, this road, this highway described to us in different ways. This way of the righteous, the path of the righteousness, righteous, that is the way to true, genuine happiness. So what is it? What kind of a path through life Does it involve? Well, it's described for us in a few different ways. First of all, right at the beginning in verse 1, it's described for us negatively. We find out what the way of the righteous is like by hearing what the righteous man is not like. And try to get the sense of how the psalmist doesn't say to us, don't be wicked, don't sin, don't scoff. He describes these things in the first verse in such a way that he's looking out for the whole idea of influence. He's thinking about the things which are really shaping and influencing us, molding our whole thinking and behavior. And so he begins, first of all, with the influence of the things that we hear, the counsel that we listen to. In our world... So many people are trying to influence us all the time. People are trying to shape the way that we think about things, how we interpret life, how we make sense of it. There's a wisdom of this age, a philosophy of our time, and it says to us, this is true wisdom. If people would believe these things, this is the way to true happiness. of well, The righteous man or woman does not allow their thinking to be shaped by the wisdom of this world that we hear in so many different ways. The righteous man or woman doesn't allow their thinking to be conformed to that way of understanding our life in God's word. The blessed person does not meditate on those voices. In the next line of the first verse, the psalmist moves on from words to behavior, a whole way of living in this world. Because when you're persuaded by the wisdom of this world, then you become comfortable with it. And then you adopt that as your position for your lifestyle. It becomes not just the way of this world, but your way of life and here the psalmist says the righteous person does not go the way of the world their thinking isn't influenced by that nor is their lifestyle and then verse one finishes by talking about our fundamental allegiance talks about where we are seated it's a metaphor for where we belong the people that we're at one with. And here, the seat is one that once you've settled in it, then you mock the way that others live who live differently. It talks about the scoffer who is scornful and who is full of contempt and condescension for people who do not live in the way that they live. In particular, this scoffer mocks God's law And cynically derides all that is good and right and true. Samus tells us that because he wants us to understand that the way of the righteous, it's not that way. It doesn't go down that path. The way of the righteous, the way to true happiness, involves going down a different road. It involves Different influences, a different lifestyle, a different place where we find our true home and identity. Let's look at verse 2, because there we now get the way of the righteous described for us positively. It's not like this. It's not about those influences, that lifestyle, that seat. Instead, positively, it's like what's described in verse 2. Now, if you were responsible for penning that second verse, you might end up writing something that sounds a little bit like this. But blessed rather is the one who walks in the counsel of the righteous, who stands in the way of the just, and who sits alongside those who praise God. That would be a good mirror image reading of the psalm, if it was not those negative things, well, if it was positively going to be the flip side of those things, well, you'd expect it to be something like that. But that's not what verse 2 says. Because in the second verse, the way of the righteous is distilled down into just one key distinctive. There is one hallmark that makes it stand out. Simply this. The godly person is someone who finds their true and their deepest delight in listening to God's Word. Positively, the person who finds blessedness is the one who delights in the law of God. And when it says law there, I think more than rules. When it talks about God's law here, it's talking about God's fatherly instruction what our Father in heaven teaches us. For us, it's virtually equivalent to talking about the word of God. It's shorthand for everything that God says to his people. The one who goes the way of the righteous. The thing that marks them out is that they delight in God's word to them. So what's the person like who walks this way? What characterizes them? Well, they are focused in on what the scriptures say. It's a whole lot more than just knowing what the Bible says. There are all sorts of brilliant scholars in our world who know the Bible so well at a number of different levels. But this verse is not describing all of them. There are people probably in the pew here today who know the Bible very, very well. But this verse is not automatically describing all of them. Because look at verse two. And look especially at what it says at the opening of it, where it speaks of a delight in something. This is no detached indifference. There can be that kind of knowledge of God's word, can't there? People know it, they know about it, but they know it in a sense where they're detached from it. You'd never say that there's delight in it. You'd never say that there is passion and commitment. In verse two, there is no detached indifference. This is not talking simply about knowing facts. There's nothing half-hearted here. There's nothing superficial. This is a person who delights in God's word so that it tastes Really sweet to them, so that it's precious. That is the thing that influences them. It's what shapes them. The law of God becomes their compass in life. God's fatherly instruction is what determines our behavior and our lifestyle. Around the scriptures, that is the place where they sit. That is their joy and pleasure, it is their treasure. And that's why this person meditates on it day and night. Someone who pours over it. Someone who thinks about it. Who really ruminates on it. Someone who wants to really take it in. I think it's really fascinating. The word that's used here for meditate is linked to the word that's used to describe the practice of muttering or mumbling. What it's trying to get at is that sense of almost whispering the things that the Bible says into yourself. The Bible becoming the voice that you're listening to inside your head. The thing which you're turning over in your life under your breath, going through it, trying to unpack it, getting it into your mind, and most importantly, getting it deep down into your heart. Blessed is the person who whispers the word of God to themselves day and night so that it goes deep down inside. That stands to reason that you can't meditate on things that you don't know. You need to feed on the word of God in order for this to happen. Your mind won't gravitate to this by simply going into some default setting. As we thought together with the children, it takes time. The word of God needs to brew inside of us. It needs to infuse into every corner of our lives. You know what I was trying to say to the children. You need that tea bag time to do its thing. The full flavor needs to get out of it. If it's simply in and out, the way in which sometimes we engage with the word of God, it's never going to get deep down inside. It needs time so that it really begins to trickle and percolate down into our hearts. It needs time so that the scriptures really begin begin to shape us and touch the way that we live. So we're on this path to blessedness. It's not that way, but it is the way of delighting in God's law, whispering it to ourselves day and night. Listen to the way that it's also painted for us in verse 3, this time far more artistically. It's a metaphorical description of the path to life. It's this image of the tree. A cultivated tree which has been deliberately planted by streams of water. It's there, it's constantly irrigated and it means that it gives fruit all the time. It's telling us through that word picture that the secret to happiness is all about where your roots are. What's really influencing you? What's anchoring you in this life? The Bible says if you want happiness, it's never going to come by chasing happiness itself. That's the problem for so many people in our world today. They want happiness. They're running after it. They'll go anywhere to try to get it. But the problem is that they're seeking happiness itself. And that will always be like chasing the wind. Blessedness does not come by pursuing blessedness. This fruitful tree is rooted by streams of water. The tree's roots reach down, as we unpack the metaphor, into the Word of God. And that's why it's so fruitful. That's how it keeps its leaves green, even in the time of drought. The roots of this tree, if we mix our metaphors, work by meditation. That's how you get the roots of your heart, deep down into this water. And if you're rooted this way, well, then three things will happen in verse 3. There'll be fruit in each each season, even in times which are difficult. In times of suffering, there'll be the fruit of patience. In seasons of adversity, there'll be courage. And in that trial, which is prosperity, there will be the fruit of generosity. There'll be fruit. There'll be vibrant leaves that won't wither even during the drought. And there'll be prosperity. There'll be the prosperity that comes from trusting in God. Go on now to verse 4. Because the psalm measures true value in this life according to the future day of judgment. And that's important because the prosperity that we've described in the verse beforehand is not necessarily what the world thinks of as prospering. True prosperity, verse 4 tells us, is measured not by what happens in this moment, but ultimately what happens on the day of judgment. Because that day in the future will make very clear to all of us That often the way that we see things now is not the way that things actually are. We're told in verse 4 that the wicked are not so. The wicked may often prosper in this life, but they don't truly prosper. They're not like that tree rooted by water. Instead, they are just like the chaff that's swept away by the wind. The chaff, what a striking picture. Imagine the threshing floor on the hillside. It's a threshing floor well exposed to the prevailing wind. The harvest that's brought in, it's threshed probably by oxen plodding over it. After that comes the winnowing. The grain would be tossed into the air by large winnowing forks. Those precious grains would drop back down onto the threshing floor and the light husks of the chaff, well, they would be caught by the wind and they would simply be blown away. Just think of that description. The wicked are like chaff. There are a few things that we could think of that are so clearly rootless as chaff. Chaff drifting on the wind in the wake of the combine harvester. There's only one way to find true prosperity, true happiness that lasts forever. And it is not by going down the path that seems right to a man. It comes only, this psalm says, by listening to what God says to us. So what's the difference between these two ways to live? What's the difference between the path of the wicked And the path of the righteous. Well, it's all the difference in this world. One is alive, the other is dead. One is fixed, and the other goes through life without any mooring. One is fruitful, the other one is ultimately useless. One is enduring. And the other is fleeting. Well, let's close by simply asking, what does all this mean for us? Verses five and six. These last two verses give us God's verdict on those two paths. We read there that God knows, verse six, the difference between the wheat and the chaff. Verse five, the wicked will not stand at the judgment. At the beginning, we read that the righteous are not to be found in the company of the wicked. And then poetically, right at the end of the psalm, that we read that the wicked are not to be found in the assembly of the righteous. They won't stand. And they won't stand because they've got nothing to stand on. What they have built their lives on are simply a foundation of lies. And the great day will expose all of this. There's a clear-cut distinction now. There is in this psalm no third way that's allowed. There's only this difference between the path of the wicked and the path of the righteous. But if there's no third way, what happens to all of us? Because this path of righteousness that's been described is surely one that none of us live up to. All too often, we are going down the way of the wicked. And even when we do come to engage with God's word, often it's in a superficial way. If we don't find ourselves numbered upon those who meditate on God's law, not just some of the time, but who fill their lives with it, meditating on it day and night. Do we meditate in the Bible like that? Are we fruitful on all the times when we should be? Do our leaves never wither? Surely our leaves wither all the time when the heat is turned up. And how then can there be anyone at all who will stand in the assembly of the righteous? Well, praise God today for the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus, in three occasions in the book of Acts, is spoken of as the righteous one. He's the righteous one. He's ultimately the one who is being described in this psalm. These psalms, more than anything else, are songs about Jesus Christ and his delight. Because he loved God's law. It filtered down into every single part of him. He meditated upon it day and night. There he was out, still in the hours of darkness, in the wilderness, meditating upon what the scripture said. Through his life, he was always fruitful. And even on the cross, in the scorching wind of the most extreme circumstances, his leaves never withered. And yet, that fruitful tree, that abundantly fruitful, vibrant tree, was, as Jesus died, cut down. The axe of God's wrath was laid to the very root of it. It was thrown into the tempest of divine wrath, into the wind and storms of divine judgment. And praise God, because of that, it means... That any one of us here today can be transplanted. That's how radical what this Psalm is talking about. This is. This is not a Psalm telling us that we need to try a little bit harder to deal with one area of sin in our lives. It's not telling us that we ought to try to be slightly better people. It says to us, we need to be transplanted. We need to be lifted up and placed down into the gospel, so that our roots go deep, deep down into the living water. Because that is the way in which we will be truly fruitful. That's the only way in which we will know real blessedness. It comes when God picks us up and when he plants us by the river of life that comes from the very throne of grace. So today, stretch and strain towards the grace that only God provides. Ask God to send the roots of your heart deep down into the streams of God's grace. Don't be content to leave here today as someone who only has shallow roots of faith, actively thrust out the trust of your heart to Jesus Christ because that will enable you to blossom and to bear fruit, not to wither in those hard circumstances of life. We can do that because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And through the gospel, we can be transplanted so that our roots go deep down into Jesus Christ And when we are rooted in him, even in the day of the greatest storm, the day of judgment itself, we will be found to stand in the congregation of the righteous, not because of anything within us, but simply because of what our Savior has done for us. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, our gracious Father, there is only one righteous one, and he is your son, Jesus Christ. But we thank and praise you that through faith, we can be united to him. United to him and therefore receive all the benefits which he has accomplished for us, in his death and resurrection. Father, please, may we abide in him. May we trust him. And may that be the path to true blessedness. Lord, if there are those among us today who have been walking down that path, which follows only the wisdom of this world, hoping and chasing after happiness, but never finding it. Please, Lord God, may today be the day in which they are transplanted and find themselves planted into the streams of living water that come from Jesus Christ Himself. Lord, do your work amongst us. Send us out from here to bear fruit to your glory in the world.